Blog Talk Radio. basketball games. We got the Super Bowl coming up. We get to all of that as well. Also, we're going to have two great guests. One guest is on the line now because as y'all know from time to time, sometimes we start off with a guest right off the bat. So we're going to do that this evening. But let me let y'all know too before we get into everything, you can give us a call at 845-277-9373. Hit us up on the Facebook page at Cats Talk Wednesday. Same thing on Twitter. Put your comments, questions, anything you want, uh, UK-related, Super Bowl-related, sports-related, comedy-related. Y'all know how we do. We got two great guests, too. First, we'll also let you know that the show is brought to you by Smoky Mountain Trader, graphic design, classified ads, advertising ads. They can take care of your needs. 5063 West Andrew Johnson Highway, Morristown, Tennessee. Lynn Earls is the main man down there. Stephen James worked with him as well. They're the number one red reader in the tri-state area, 12 counties in Tennessee, Bell County, Kentucky, Lee County, Virginia. They can take care of all your needs and anything you need where you want to sell, buy, trade, homes, appliances, cars, vehicles. Smoky Mountain Traders is the place to go. Tell them you heard about it on Cats Talk Wednesday with Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown. Mention. TB will get you on the line because we also have our first guest on the line. So let's say hey to you right quick, and then we'll jump right into it, man. How's everything with you on this frigid Wednesday? I'm nice and cold, but I'm ready to, to warm things up. So let, let's get going. We're going to jump right into it. Like I said, we got our first of two guests on the line now. He is a stand-up comedian, a playwright, an actor, head writer of the official Explain Plot, hashtag Explain a Movie Plot Badly. We are talking about Ricky Glore on what is now on Cast Talk Wednesday. Ricky, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, man. Hello. Thank you for having me on this cold, cold polar vortex night. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was so cold and so much polar vortexness that it actually – KO your performance tonight at the cast dinner, right? I was so upset. I was so looking forward to doing the university, uh, playing the university of Kentucky tonight. And, you know, as Matt Bevin said, you know, I guess Kentucky is filled with a bunch of softies. We couldn't have a show <laughs> at UK, you know, U of L was shut down. NKU was shut down. UC and Cincinnati was shut down. All the schools shut down. It's too cold to learn. 
too cold to last. <laughs> Man, that, you know, when you think you've heard it all, you know, a statement like that is made. So. <laughs> I just love that, that he had the balls to, like, find something so ancillary to pick at. And just mock. It's just like, man, do you have a list of things every day that you're just like, all right, how am I going to call Kentuckians a bunch of pussies today? Oh, all right. Make fun <laughs> of them for not going to school. And then, of all people, Al Roker calling him out, which was hilarious. Now, yeah. Al Roker, ever since he lost a little bit of weight, he, he's got a little bit of swag to him now. You know, oh, he throws constantly. Yeah, uh, the Olympics a couple of years ago with the whole Ryan Lotke thing, and Matt uh, Matt Lauer was talking, and, and and Al went to the ice or the water and was stirring his straw. So so Al's got a little bit of swag to him on today now. I think he's got that confidence. He's got the uh, I don't give an f attitude. He's been there a while. He's <laughs> top dog. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey man, Ricky. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We we know you're on tour. I don't want to speak too soon. I'm from Kentucky also, or from the Midwest. I was trying to read up on the site. I know your home base is out of Cincinnati, so just tell us a little background about about yourself. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in northern Kentucky, and I actually live in Kentucky. But whenever anyone asks me where I'm from, I say Cincinnati just because if I ever am asked that and I answer truthfully and say Kentucky, the reaction that I always get is, uh, isn't that where the Creationist Museum is? Or just a barrage of stupid <laughs> questions of like, oh, and you wear shoes. Can you marry your cousin still? Do you know anyone that has a distillery in the woods? Do you make moonshine? <laughs> So that's, that's where I currently live. More, yeah, and, and grew that's up. That's more um, my neck of the woods. I'm from Southeast yeah, Kentucky. Yeah. That's more my neck of the woods, man. But it's it's so weird to be that defensive about Kentucky or to get offended because yeah, I I grew up in northern Kentucky, very close to Cincinnati. And I remember uh, one time I was in Connecticut and someone was like, "Oh, where are you from?" And I'm like, oh, Kentucky. And they're like, oh, yeah, I can hear the accent. I can hear the accent now. I'm like, I, I don't think there's an accent. But I uh, I also lived in Chicago where I did a lot of uh, my theater work for eight years from about uh, 2010 to 2017. Um, and then just kind of recently moved back in the last couple of years and really started hitting uh, stand-up hard again. And this weekend is my debut of taking my comedy tour to L.A., where we are uh, doing my show at El Cid on Sunset Boulevard. And then the next night, I'm in Berkeley, California, uh, for Brewers Beer Week, San Francisco's Brew Week at Gilman Brewery. Yeah, I was checking that out. I was checking out the tour, and we got Ricky Glor with us on now, in case y'all just tuning in. You started kind of following us. You followed the show right after we had Thinbet on a few weeks ago, and then we kind of started following each other on Twitter after that. And I saw you tweet out if you knew of anybody who had a comedy club in L.A. and all of that. And 
Look, mm-hmm. I don't have any pull out there. I've never been to L.A., <laughs> but I, I, I listened to Steve Harvey in the morning, and I know J. Anthony Brown is on there. So I responded and told you about J. Anthony Brown. I didn't see him respond to the tweet, but he, did you ever get up with him about the J-Spot Club of his, or can, do we need to call him out right now? Or I, I, well, I mean, you can, I, don't, I don't know him personally, and I don't even know him professionally. <laughs> Um, I've reached out to him after you sent that as a suggestion. I'm like, I think that's one of the places I've reached out to. I mean, to be honest, I I just started a um, a new podcast, which for iHeart uh, Radio app and Clear Channel, where uh, we aren't able to to drop or publicly really announce. So this is kind of exclusive until we have ten episodes in the can, and it's uh, a show where we primarily interview headlining touring comedians. So we're going to be having on like Alonzo Bowden, uh, Tammy Pascatelli, uh, A. Whitney Brown. We're I'm in talks with uh, Joseph Berbiglia, which is Mike Berbiglia's brother and his manager. Okay. And he's going to possibly come on in a couple months. But we get real nerdy about stand-up. And the reason why I mentioned that, uh, the show's called Laughs Per Minute when it does come out, is as a young comedian like myself, because even though I'm 33 and I've done stand-up off and on for the past like 14 years i don't have a a credit yet like a television or a late night credit so it's really hard even though someone with my experience may have the chops to perform at any kind of comedy club it's really about who you know to get into certain clubs so like i looked and i i had reached out to him in la about doing a show but because his his venue is a legit club that rightfully so they got to advertise a, a person and they, if it's a person that no one's ever heard of, at least if they have a credit, like, you know, they performed on late night with Seth Myers, people will go, Oh, okay. I've never heard of them, but they must be good enough for me to spend my, you know, 15, 20 shekels dollar bills uh, right. to go see. But you know, with me, even though it might be an entertaining, great night, I don't have that cachet yet for them to be like, all right, we're going to take a chance on you. But luckily, uh, I ended up getting connected with El Cid, which is a notorious Los Angeles and Hollywood um, venue, comedy venue slash burlesque slash rock band, and they're a tapas restaurant, and they are kind of like self-reclaimed as an alt comedy scene where if you're not, if you're looking for a place, that's not necessarily a comedy club, like comedy store or laugh factory or an improv, you can see some good up and coming comedians there. Cool. 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 So hopefully that credit is, is on the way. And you know, as you can see, because you're tour, man, (laughs) Because you were grinding, man. You're grinding. To to get on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was like the the pinnacle. Because you know oh, yeah. Jay Leno ticket. got his start there. That was that was that was the thing. You know, if you had been on there twice, that was the the stand up kind of seal of approval. So, uh, and then if you get the, called over that, to the couch to talk to Johnny, right. that was like the extra <laughs> right. seal. Yeah. yeah what, Steve Martin. There's a video of Steve a Barton. comedian where yeah. he got called over, like, completely off guard. Like, 
And Johnny Carson's like, yeah, come here, have a seat. I'm trying to remember who that mm-hmm. was. I have to Google that. But I know exactly what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, and, and I, Absolutely. you know, I, as you said, I, I'm, I'm hitting the grind. I am self-managed, um, self-booked. So everything, pretty much everything I get except for a couple one-off shows here and there, I'm I'm hustling myself and putting together and negotiating because that's the other thing. It it's really it doesn't behoove you to have an agent, you know, paying someone until you're a name and you're having to facilitate a bunch of offers. Um, I've been really lucky to work with some from decent touring comedians. Uh, early on, I was a house MC at a Funny Bone Comedy Club in Northern Kentucky where I got to work with anyone from Jim Brewer to Tracy Morgan to Tommy Davidson yeah. to Kevin Nealon and Kevin Pollack, Damon Wayan. And so I got to work with some of my idols. And luckily, that the diversity of the amount of people that I'm able to work with and the different rooms that I'm able to play because I also do a lot of breweries, which I've noticed have become like the modern-day coffee house. But depending where the yeah. brewery is, you know, their clientele, a lot of blue-collar – I mean, I can be straight up and say, a lot of white people go to breweries, depending <laughs> where it is, blue-collar, and they might not necessarily want to hear someone ragging on Trump or talking about religion on their Friday or Saturday night out. Now, on the other hand, there's these distilleries and breweries that are located in certain areas where there is a more diverse makeup. And so it's not pigeon-held that, like, every brewery you're going to play is going to have, you know, 50-year-old white people and up. Right. Now, you mentioned we're talking about Ricky Glore, comedian, fellow – Kentuckian, hangs out in Cincinnati. You mentioned that you've been on stage for 14 years, 33 years old, almost half your life. What are differences in your comedy then as opposed to now? What's changed? What's stayed the same? What have you tweaked? What have you said I'm good with? It's funny you say that because I just recently found my composition notebook from when I was first doing uh, stand-up. When I, when I moved to Chicago, I kind of took a hiatus from doing stand-up and did a lot of original theater. So off and on for about six years, I would do stand-up every now and then. But, um, but when I was initially doing it for about six years straight, I looked at that notebook of original material, and there were a lot of jokes, not a lot of personal experiences or personal connectivity to the material I was doing then, you know, doing jokes about like getting high. I mean, doing jokes basically that represented what my life was at that time. I was in college. I was young. I was going out drinking. I was, you know, getting high with my roommate and stuff. So like making jokes about um, Cheetos, like, if you get real baked and eat a whole bag of Chigos, the next morning you'll wake up and it looks like you've been fisting an Oompa Loompa. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> Which, 
like you can scrub and wash all you want. That stuff's not coming off. You're going to have to go to the doctor and get some like specially prescribed Cheeto ointment. Um, <laughs> so, like stuff like that, and you know some pop culture, kind of what you would say is like low hanging fruit. But like that was back right. in the day when. I was only doing 10 minutes on stage. I remember one of the first times that I did over 15 minutes on stage was I was, uh, I was supposed to be hosting for the weekend at the funny bone for Jim Brewer. And typically the way comedy clubs run is you have the host MC, which introduces the show, makes announcements about the club and they do between eight and 12 minutes. And then they bring up what's called the feature act. And they're usually the person that's touring with the headliner with like say Jim Brewer and they do 20 to 25 and they come off, they come off and then the host and MC goes back on and then introduces the headliner, Jim Brewer. And at the end of the night, the host and MC comes back on and like more announcements for the club and says, thank you. Good night. Um, the Thursday night beginning of the weekend for Jim Brewer, he wasn't there or the feature act wasn't there yet. And the person running sound was like, Jim's not here. You're going to have to go on stage and just keep on going until they get here. And I was like, oh, my God, that's nerve-wracking. And then all of a sudden, right when the show's getting ready to start, Jim Brewer uh, comes running up next to me, and he's like, hey, man, I'm Jim. Uh, We're not going to have a feature (laughs) act this weekend. So if you could, man, uh, if you could, like, do uh, 25 minutes and then just bring me up, that would be great, man. Knock him dead. <laughs> so, like, mere seconds before I'm going Take on. Take a swim. Yeah, I, it's just like, oh, okay. Like, and then you start doing that, like, uh, like if someone's doing, like, quantum physics, like a math equation in your mind. I'm on stage and I'm saying things, but I'm disconnected from the persona <laughs> that I'm showing the audience. Because in my mind, I'm going, okay. Now, what do I talk about here? Do I do crowd work? I've got almost double, more than double the amount of time that I have to do that I'm not prepared for. And honestly, that was one of the best weekends because it was a two-man show the whole weekend. After that night, Jim was like, yeah, you did really great. Um, Can I give you some advice? And he would tell me, you know, this is what I'd suggest doing with the audience. And also my first weekend, I'm a white guy. I'm a very white guy. I'm a super white guy. My first weekend was with Vanessa Mitchell of Saturday Night Live. And I had never played what is considered an urban room, a predominantly black room. And so uh, a bit of my naivete, I was just like, well, it's a show. I go up on stage and I, I do my show. I do what I have prepared. And so Thursday night I did that. And it did. it went fine. But afterwards, Vanessa Mitchell, not knowing it was my first weekend, he's like, hey, man, uh, do you mind if I give you some advice? I was like, of course. And he's like, with an urban crowd, he's like, you want to get in their face immediately. He's like, you want to talk a little bit louder than you would. And he's like, and you want to stand closer <laughs> to the edge of the stage to show them that you're not going to be their bitch. That you're going to control the room for the night. And I would, yeah, yeah, and then for the rest of the weekend, that's what I did. And it, a little bit of that made me fearless to think like, oh, if you're a good performer, 
which that's not even holding into accountability of what your humor is like or what your content is. If you're a good performer, you can work in any room, in any environment. There should be no excuses to if you if you do badly, you might be able to pick apart like, well, the lights were up and the audience, you know, you can pull apart different circumstances that would have made it a better show. But at the end of the day, if you're a good performer, you can adapt to anything. We're talking with Ricky Glore. This is Cast Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hart and Terry Brown. I, this might be the a dumb, basic question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> we've been fortunate We've been fortunate to have some, you know, other comedians on before. Another Kentucky comedian, we had Michael Rudolph on. We had Finbad. We had Roy Wood Jr. Pre the oh, Daily Roy, Show. He was Roy Sullivan and so good. He was Sullivan and son so Roy then. We had, we haven't had him on since he was, you know, the Daily Show big time Roy. But you know, yeah. he's still cool. But do do joke writers, you know? Why don't they do stand up? Are they do they have stage fright? Is it bad timing? You know, you got people that write jokes. What's the deal with that? I always wonder. Um, I would, I would venture to think that I don't know anyone personally that just writes jokes and then gives them to a performer to do like a stand up. Mm-hmm. Like if if there is someone that's like that, like so, like um. Paul Mooney, who used to write for Richard Pryor yeah. back in the day. Paul Mooney right. himself was a stand-up comedian, and he also was one of uh, Richard's um, sketch writers for his variety show. But he would often uh, open for Richard, but you know he would collaborate, and I would imagine early on Richard would probably get Paul's best material. I don't, I don't know that they're – I think that that might be a lost art with just the comedy writer who's not a performer in some capacity. Mm. Makes sense. I just wondered about it. Yeah, Yeah. like you had had the history of like um, Bob Einstein or Einstein who just passed, who was Super Dave. Yeah, um, yeah. In Albert Brooks's brother, him – him and Steve Martin got started together, and I believe, I don't want to misquote, but uh, I think it was on the um, Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. So mm-hmm. they were both performers, even if Bob Einstein wasn't a stand-up, which I believe he did do stand-up. Like, Steve Martin was roughing it out and, you know, working on this variety show, writing jokes for other people, but he would have to write in their voices or he'd write a hundred jokes and he'd turn them in and they'd be like, Oh, we can do this, this, and this, but these other ones, whether they're funny or not, they don't match the tone or the persona that Mm. we're portraying on the show, which I have, (laughs) I have a joke that my wife says I can never tell when she's at a show. Um, and I normally wouldn't do because even though I, I, I find that I understand the humor in it. It doesn't necessarily fit the persona for the rest of my show that if I were to tell it, the audience might be like, Oh, that's a darker kind of a more twisted joke. That doesn't fit along the lines of the guy that you've been for this first 20 minutes or are going to be for the next 20 yeah. minutes. Right. Right. Um, that all 
all makes it all makes perfect sense. And you were asked to audition for SNL. Tell us how that came about and and <laughs> your mindset going into that. <laughs> uh, that uh, I I still am hopeful. You know, uh, I think I've got another shot this year to send in a writing packet and um, and send in an audition. Um, like fingers crossed on that. But it, that's actually something I've mentioned uh, some of my more recent live shows. Like, hey, uh, if you have Twitter, follow me on Twitter at Ricky Glore. Uh, if for anything, I have my Saturday Night Live audition video up there, and then people will like make noise. They're like, I've heard of Saturday Night Live. Like, oh, he's almost famous. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but don't worry, I didn't get it because that's why I'm here tonight in you know yeah. Waterford, Michigan, where there's a snowstorm. Um, how that happened was I was reached out to by by one of the uh, one of the producers of SNL. Um, who had seen a stand-up clip of mine and said, uh, forward my information along to two of the talent scouts. Uh, one was a writer's talent scout who took the the writing packet submissions, and the other one was the one who took the, the video auditions submissions. And they reached out to me, and they said, hey, uh, blah, 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 pass your information along. Um, here's the requirements for the video we want to see you do, and here's the requirements for the writing packet. And the writing packet was interesting. I, I am a writer, and I've, I've written some plays and musicals, but what I thought was pretty cool, it was almost like a fan football or a fantasy football, was they're like, okay, every sketch that you write, you have to cast with, who the current cast is right now. You have to put them in the roles as you're writing for your scenes. So that wasn't super crazy, but then they were like, okay, you also have to cast a host, which means that you have to think of who is currently hot or who has a movie coming out, you know, in the next year that might be a possible host and what kind of roles would you write them in your writing packet in the sketches? And so, like, I was writing um, a sketch about uh, an Alexa product, like an Amazon Alexa, but it was uh, – it had the voice of Shangela, a drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> so you would ask Alexa a question, and it would get sassy with you as a drag queen and call you out on how lazy you are. <laughs> like, of course. What are the, of course. So, like, in my, in my sketch – uh, I wrote that the host was Chris Evans, Captain America, because I was like, yeah, Avengers movies are coming out. He might possibly be a host. And so, like, I wrote it was a commercial parody. And so, like, he's like, uh, I can't remember what I, I called the Alexa, but he's like, Alexa, how's the weather out today? And Alexa's like, shoot, boy, look out your window and see what it's like. Is it sunny? <laughs> then it's probably nice. Damn. <laughs> But what so I wrote that and this and this isn't this is in no way saying because you have to sign an NDA you have to sign a, a waiver saying you know right. anything you send us something could appear on the show that you feel is similar but you have no course of action once you send this mm. to us so mm. I sent that in my video in my my packet um, I think last. May, 
And then this current season, uh, which started around end of September, beginning of October, um, there was a sketch that I think Cecily Strong wrote because she's a big fan of RuPaul's Drag Race and actually has appeared as a judge on RuPaul this past season. And she had a drag queen GPS commercial parody. So it was a GPS telling you where to drive and where to go with a voice of drag queens getting sassy. And I was like, oh, I mean, like, I, I didn't think, like, oh, they ripped me off. And, like, oh. But, like, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I, I felt good because that meant my humor sensibility is at least on a right track. Like, I'm 33, which doesn't seem old. But in, you know, the era of comedy, it's always about who's popping young and who's popping fresh. Like, oh, there's this 19-year-old comedian who's, like, breaking onto the scene and, like, deconstructing comedy. I just felt like I had my fingers a little bit on the pulse of what was going to be funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And for my audition video, I was told, uh, which, like I said, you can check out on Twitter while it's there, and I think it goes to my YouTube. Um, I was told I had to do two original characters and then uh, five impressions. And I actually do impressions of my stand-up act, which it's uh, some of my favorite actors dramatically reading what I think their favorite 80s songs would be. So I was like, okay, some of the impressions are old, like impressions a lot of people do, like Sean Connery or Sylvester Stallone. I was like, I want to also do an impression that is more current. Someone who, you know, is maybe physically similar looking to me and uh, everyone would recognize their name. So I wrote, um, I made it a sketch called bathroom karaoke with James Corden. And the premise was a spoof on <laughs> carpool karaoke, but instead of a carpool, he's dropping in on celebrities in a bathroom stall next to them while they're doing their business and trying to get them to sing along to songs. Little touch of impractical jokers. Sound like something they would do. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not get Saturday Night Live. Uh, the cast member that was on last season as a featured player, Luke Knoll, who was from Cincinnati, he actually got fired in between the seasons. So, uh, you know, they already got rid of their guy from Cincinnati, so I don't think I had a good chance. Um, but what I have been doing is hustling. I've been submitting to Conan for a stand-up set. I've been submitting to James Corden. Um, I've gotten rejected three times from The Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon, which it's nice that it's not cool to get rejected, but it's nice that their talent scout at least replies and says, hey, we're going to take a pass on this. So that for me just makes me go, okay, I just got to keep working hard, got to keep, you know, try something different in my voice or whatever and send them the next thing. And, you know, either one day I'll get a reply back like, yep, let's book you for this date, or it won't happen. In worst case scenario, I'll keep touring, making money, doing what I love, which is entertaining people. I listened to some of 
like some Sklar Brothers podcast and stuff, and you know, have a lot of comedians on their their shows, and some that have done SNL. Everybody that went in and either submitted stuff or auditioned in front of them go into it thinking there's no way I'm going to get it. So they just, you know, they go in with nothing to lose, and that's usually right. when pow, that's when it happens for them. Like whoa, I mean, because you're you're auditioning in front of the the committee or whoever they have. And, they, you know, it's quiet. Nobody's laughing. You're, you know, giving it your all and not getting any kind of response of any kind, one way or the other. You know, you can hear a pin drop. And, you know, that's the times when you end up getting it. And you, you can't read how they're thinking or any of that. But, yeah, so it's, it's I'm sure it's got to be stressful or, you know, yeah. trying to impress me, the toughest crowd ever. Well, who's seen it all? They've seen everything. So unless yeah. you're you're bringing something that they feel sparks um, an interest or an idea in them, and they they've seen a permutation of it before, you ask me what has changed from when I started doing stand up 14 years ago, and I said I found my composition notebook, which had a lot of stuff that I kind of cringed at. Definitely, what has changed for me now is just life experiences. I think uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Colin Quinn in the Seinfeld documentary comedian which if you're wanting to be a stand-up comic, I recommend that to me is like a Bible for stand-up. The way it breaks it down, the way it shows it, um, I think it's fascinating. But they say the numbers of years that you are or have have done doing stand-up, that's how old you are in the stand-up world. So like if you've been doing stand-up two years, your humor is like a two-year-old. Right, you might be mm. saying some like crass things or you know shocking things just to elicit re- in a reaction, but you know yeah. you've been doing it twenty year old twenty years. You, you're now like a twenty year old. So for me, mm. it's been I um I have a dad who you know growing up would take me to like autograph shows, would take me to plays and stuff, and to meet the performers after the show. So like growing up. I uh, I met Jerry Lewis as a, like a as like an wow. eight year old. Um, I, I've gotten to meet I got to meet Seinfeld. I went to a show that he was coming to, and we hung out out by the stage door. I got to meet Robin Williams after he did an hour and a half show, and then did a meet and greet with people that paid extra, and then he still came out the stage door and spent like a half an hour talking to me about theater. I was in college and I had just done of mice and men during college. And then, so like for half an hour, we talked about Steinbeck and like great American playwrights. And it was, it's surreal because I've gotten to meet my idols and a little bit of that is I've always felt my dad, who's a huge fan of pop culture is I've always felt that part of your performance, if you're an actor or a comedian or entertainer, you should factor in the time after the show to be hospitable to the people that came out to see you because they gave you something before you gave them something, which is their time and or money for the ticket. So if they want to say thank you after the show, get a picture, get an autograph, you need to factor that in as, into the time that you're quote unquote working 
Um, and I'll wrap up the thought. I went on a, I chased a rabbit for there. But my material now, um, I've been married for two years or three years because it's 2016. Uh, so a lot of it is about the person that I've become and the things that I have witnessed being a husband, um, living with a, a woman, you know, being married. Uh, and that has made me tap into some of the things that I didn't recognize were so humorous growing up in Northern Kentucky. Like I went to, Cam- I went to Campbell County high school in Northern Kentucky and our okay. mascot was a camp was a camel. We were the Campbell County camels, the most non-threatening animal to be a mascot. Um, our colors were purple and gold because we needed to be emasculated a little bit more. <laughs> hey, look, look, man, the the Owsley County owls could even claw you with their talons. Y'all didn't even have nothing for They have they have flight. We have water in our humps. We have humps. And you know, at Absolutely. our football games, this is this is how they announced us. They'd be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your Campbell County Camels. Watch out, they spit." <laughs> Oh, we broke. You mentioned Seinfeld. Uh, and... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. no, 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 no. I was... No, I was just going to keep on you talking mentioned... about Campbell County. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned Seinfeld, and look, full disclosure, I've never watched one episode of Seinfeld, <laughs> but I've binge watched. I've binge watched every episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. I'll tell you, you know, I watched every episode of that multiple times. And the thing they so always good. say, you know, pretty much the theme, no matter who's in the car, Jerry at some point will say, look, you know, we as comedians can go on and become actors and we can go on and do this, we can become doctors. Can't none of them come and do what we do? Do you right. share that sentiment? You know, as far as, I mean, that, I'm, that always just resonates. Doctors can't come yeah, do what we do. Actors can't do what we do. Nobody can do what we do. You know how he says. No, no one can do what we do. I mean, like, <laughs> I could become a doctor. I mean, a doctor can't become a stand-up. All right. That's right. Well, you you might be right. asking yourself, can I be a doctor? I don't know. Um yeah, Jerry's the most probably like easiest impressionable uh, comedian. Um, uh, there's that old saying that they polled uh, a lot of people in the United States. Would you rather be in the casket at a funeral or giving the eulogy? And the majority of people, like 80% of people, said they'd rather be in the casket because of having stage fright. Um, so I think that bit of it is true. People have a public speaking fear, uh, but I, I honestly think, and this is something that I, I when I, I'm an introvert extrovert. I love performing, and I love being around people and making them laugh. But I am also someone that could go to a party and clam up, and sit in a corner and sip on a drink. A little bit of that is. I like to people watch. I like to hear their conversations and find the humor in that, which I think everyone's 
funny. Now, I know that's not a sentiment probably shared by many comedians because there's a lot of comedians that are like, I'm going to show you how funny I am. I'm going to go up on stage and make you laugh. Um, I don't know why I'm doing the Seinfeld voice for that. But uh, too many comedians, like, you have to have confidence to be a comedian. Because if you go up there with no confidence, it either, A, has to be a character that your character that you're portraying is so void of confidence that it's almost confidence and not having confidence. Or you have to go up there because you're like, what I'm doing is what I think is humorous and I'm going to, I'm going to perform for you. But I feel like there's a, a problem with a lot of comedians that they go up there and they turn that confidence into, Oh, I'm really effing funny and I'm going to show you how funny I am. And then those comedians are the ones who turn on the audience and they're like, well, I don't know why you're not laughing at that joke. That joke was funny. And an audience doesn't want it, especially an audience at a comedy club. They're like, Hey buddy, we'll let you know when it's funny or based on the different permutations of the show, like uh, traditionally, usually uh, the first show on a Friday night, the audience is going to be a little quieter because they've just worked a 40 hour work week. They got off at five. They went home, they showered. They maybe rushed somewhere to have dinner before the eight o'clock show, or they just ate dinner at the show and they're a little tired. They may be loving the show, but they're just a little quieter. And so I think it's a mistake of a lot of amateur younger comedians who think that when an audience is quiet, that they're not enjoying the show. And they can make the mistake of pulling that out. Yeah, and then it turns the audience off against you. But yeah, I think I think everyone is funny. Now, knowing when to tap into that or use like figuring out how to expel that humor, we all have experiences and we were all raised in different ways, even though some of them are similar. You know, that's why there's comedians who who do jokes about growing up in the inner city or taking public transportation or, you know, this, that, and the other. So it's similar because it's relatable, but your stance on what makes like what's funny about your family is probably going to be funny to someone else because they've had that shared experience. And I think a lot of laughter comes from tapping into people relating to what you're talking about. Now that doesn't mean pandering, but if a comic, you know, comics talk about their wives or their girlfriends or their boyfriends or whatever. I mean, how many female comedians talk about bad dates with guys or bad sex? It's funny, even though we've heard it a bunch of different ways because it happens. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. We are on with <laughs> Ricky Glory for tonight. Making sense. I'm saying the bunch. I'm saying the bunch. I'm usually usually I say absolutely. Terry will tell you that I say absolutely to everything. I'm trying to stop doing that and now I'm saying it all makes sense. But you are man. You, everything you just throw at us makes a bunch of sense though. Uh, at Ricky Gore on Twitter, RickyGore.com. Um, Making a West Coast swing like you like you mentioned coming up over the next little bit, El Cid in L.A., then up to Berkeley. Be back in our neck of the woods like uh, February 13th in Cincinnati. Go Bananas Pro-Am. 
March 8th, last per minute below zero lounge in Cincinnati. March 14th, uh, 2019, last per minute urban artifact in Cincinnati. Then you pop down to Louisville on Ricky Gore's Taco Kitty Tour Mag Bar in Louisville, Kentucky. Before that, you go real quick. Are you a big? Are you you a football fan? Are you? Do you have a pick for the Super Bowl? Do you care? Are you Rams, <laughs> Patriots? Does it not matter? <laughs> Here we go. I know you. I know you just said the teams, but I didn't really hear it. This just shows how much I'm. I'm connected with sports right now. We're flying back in on Sunday, so I'll probably watch the Super Bowl. Two teams that are playing are the Patriots and the Rams. You are correct. Is that what you said? Okay, so that's yeah. my knowledge, and I know, I know <laughs> that Belichick is the coach of the Ram, uh, the coach of the Patriots, and that Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Patriots. But that oh, is as far as my knowledge goes. If I had to pick a team, what the Patriots have five, six Super Bowl rings? Yeah, five. Yeah, five. Yeah, mm-hmm. five. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, that that was, so, a, that was a pure guess. I mean, I make some great so stupid guesses. The other day, I was like, I think uh, William Howard Taft was the twenty seventh president of the United States, with no like. Backup like information to support that claim. Like I didn't know who the twenty sixth was. I know who the twenty eighth was, but I said that, and then someone looked it up and they're like, "Holy crap, that's right. He was the twenty seventh president." He's like, "How did you know that?" I was like, "I don't know." But if I had to so pick, it's, it's I would casual. say Patriots. Yeah, Patriots. All right. Do you guys hey. think it'll be a good game? Casual fan. I do. Yeah, I, I think of so. UTB. Yeah, I think, I, so I think the Rams have enough offense to make it interesting, but you know, uh the Patriots are like Michael Myers. You gotta you gotta really make sure he's dead before you start celebrating. Well the thing is I would I've noticed at least from the, the Super Bowls of previous because like I don't watch any game I don't no offense, I don't watch the Bengals. They're upsetting. Um but Super Bowls of the past, when I watch them, it feels like the team who has the best defense wins. Maybe that's yeah. great. maybe mm-hmm. that's a, st- a stupid thing to say. So, like, if the Rams have a great offense, they that doesn't necessarily mean they'll win. Like, if they have a great offense and they have a decent defense, which keeps the Patriots from scoring, then they'll have a better – I mean – now I'm sounding like John Madden, like, oh, you see what the guy does? Uh, if, if they break the ball in the end zone, uh, that's when they score. Touchdown. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you're, so it's casual fan city for you, just like all the other millions of people that will be tuning in for maybe the first time all season. And that's absolutely okay. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have, uh, a collection of uh, ball caps that I usually like to throw on after a show when I'm sweaty. And then I, I sell a t-shirt that I have and a, a book that I wrote that goes with part of my act that I do um, after my shows. But because I'm a big guy and I'm sweaty and I move around a lot, I throw a hat on to keep the sweat back. The hat that fits the best, I wear a seven and seven eighths hat. I have a big noggin. Ooh. Even though I have a Cincinnati Reds hat, a Chicago Cubs hat, a New York Yankees hat, they're all seven and seven eighths. 
The only hat that really fits comfortably, and I don't know why, bought them all new, is the Yankees hat. Now, I mm. like the legacy of the Yankees. I understand in the Major League Baseball. You know, it's not like NFL where everybody gets the same amount of money to spend on their team. So I get that. But the Yankees have a legacy, and I, I respect and, and appreciate that. Like, I respect and appreciate the legacy of the Cincinnati Reds with the big red machine. And then the 1999, uh, 1990 Reds. And I also grew up going to the games in the mid-'90s with uh, Roberto Santiago as the catcher and Jason Talbasi. Um But I wear my Yankees hat after shows. And you have no idea how many people come up to me and are just like, nope, don't appreciate that hat. <laughs> who just get polarized. Yeah, and then the only thing I've thought of to say, because it's happened so often, is like, yeah, but Lou Gehrig played for the Yankees, and you can't hate Lou Gehrig. <laughs> That's true. That's right. That's right. Hey, once for the last time, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> Man, Ricky and Kate, thank you enough for, for hopping on. Hate that the weather knocked you out of the cat's den, but we are glad that you still took time out of your evening to hop on the show with us. Uh, all the best. If you don't mind. And then, yeah, if you don't mind, uh, they're going to be rescheduling me for that show. Um, when I know when it is, do you mind if I shoot it your way and you can let everyone know? Hey, we don't mind a bit, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Definitely. looking forward to the Louisville show. That's where I am, so I'm, I'm going to be. That's St. Patrick's Day. Are you going to come out? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh. I come out about once a quarter, so that's going to be my time to come out and, <laughs> and see what's going that's on. Gonna be a, there you go. That's going to be a that's going to be a great show. We've got a great feature act. Uh, my co-host for the podcast, Laughs Per Minute, is going to be the MC, and it's a rock bar. They usually have rock bands, and they're like. We want to try something different on St. Patty's Day. And it's like, all right. I performed last year on St. Patty's <laughs> Day in a bar. And it actually turned into being one of the best shows. So, hey, I, I can't wait to see you there. It's going to be fun. It'll be here before we know That's it, too, sweet. man. Yeah. Appreciate you joining us, Ricky, man. Thank you so much. Honored Absolutely. to have you. And uh, continued success on the tour and on that grind, man. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Thank hey, you. Too. Later. Ricky Glore. Follow him on Twitter, at Ricky Glore. Fellow Kentuckian. Start following us after we had Sinbad on. Follow each other and message them about coming on. And We got him on and had a lot of fun. He dropped a lot of knowledge. Been in the game a long time, too, just to be 33 years old. 14 years on stage, man. That's That's impressive. Yeah, that 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 that's great. I, when I when you gave me the heads up, I went over to his Twitter page and I saw his uh, SNL uh, yeah. kind of uh, audition and, and everything. And that was always one of my dreams was to get on uh, SNL. But uh, but thank you, thanking uh, him for coming on. We had a great time. Absolutely, that's it. Take us a quick fast break, and we'll be back to talk. Maybe a little Kansas and Vanderbilt TV. I think those might be some fun things we want to dive into. 
This is Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Terry, Snow Advisory Brown. Check him out on Twitter. Check us out on Twitter. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. not having an elite shot blocker, but 
they're doing it by committee. I, I, I saw Justin Rowland uh, tweet out that this team is on pace to be one of Cal's, you know, top two or three teams uh, block shot teams. So it's defense. It's Ashton Hagen. It is they're becoming grinded out uh, kinds of games. Uh, that's what we saw against Kansas. They got out to that comfortable lead. Kansas made a push, which good teams are going to do, but it was still relatively comfortable. You know, you're shooting free throws to, to, to win the game. Uh, and I'm not going to read too much into last night because Vanderbilt is terrible, but you have to like the defense. You have to like being up by 30 at the half without Keldon Johnson and Reed Travis scoring. I mean, you, you have to like that. You have to like P.J. Washington over the last three games being the P.J. Washington we all thought we were going to get, you know, after last year's Kansas State exit. So I'm not surprised. I'm surprised by the people that are surprised. We have seen Cal year after year after year after year get his teams to play their best. And I've said it before, I'll keep saying it, I haven't seen – a team where you could say, man, that team could have done more than they did. You know, maybe last year with the way the bracket opened up, but we all knew Sweet 16 is about what that team was capable of, you know, last year after that four-game slot. Can't be too disappointed. Uh, losing on a last-second shot, you know, with the, Mo- uh, the, Mo- the Monk-Fox-Bam team. I mean, even 38-1, that's pretty good. I mean, that's getting to the final four. That it's not like that's a huge, you know, disappointment. Like that's not a first losing in the first round. So Cal figures it out. Uh, I don't think it's you know a lot of people say it's addition by subtraction with with uh, Quade Green uh, transferring out. I don't think that's the case. I just think it's a matter of the light going on for Ashton Hagens. It is uh, Tyler Hero just exploring the mid-range game. It's Reed Travis, you know, he got to the point, and people were hating on Reed Travis. You know, he's this, that, and the other. Against Kansas, Kansas' interior big men wanted nothing to do with him midway through the second half. That's right. Midway through the second half, right. they, they tapped out. So are there going to be Lost games where Lost Reed Travis – Right. Are there going to be games where Reed Travis – isn't yeah, I mean he, he is what he is. He's he's not a big leaper, but there are gonna be games like we saw against Kansas, we're we're going to need him to bang. We're we're going to need him. The beauty of it is, and this is I've talked about this before, we can do a lot of different things. We've got versatile bigs. I mean, last night, if your highlight is E. J. Montgomery throwing an alley pass to Nick Richards, I mean Come on, that, that's that's a that's a four to five running an alley oop. I mean, that's that's what you want right. to see. Nick Richards uh, getting you know four or five blocks in a handful of minutes. He's becoming elite. You have to like the four bigs that we can rotate. When you got PJ Washington playing at a high level, Reed Travis who has been solid for a big chunk of the year, and then EJ and Nick yeah. coming and do valuable things. That's great. And then you look at the wing with, with Keldon and, and, and Tyler Hero and, and Ash and Hagens and, and quickly, and hello, look who's warming up, Baker. <laughs> I mean, so 
you, you get to that point when you look at not just the great Cal teams, but the great Kentucky teams, and, and really all great teams, they can do a lot of different things. There's, there's, there's a guy that may not be as heralded, that may not be as noticed, that can come in and deliver in big moments. Our main man, Cameron Mills, who was thrust into uh, getting more minutes than he probably was accustomed to in 97 on the drive to that runner-up, you know, proved in 98, hey, yeah, uh, if I've got to play 25 minutes tonight, I can do it. If I play three minutes tonight, I can do it. You've got to have those kinds of guys. And it's not just, oh, do you have a lot of freshmen or do you have a lot of uh, seniors or, or what have you. It's how do people's roles get defined? And, and, and that's the thing that Cal has been wonderful about since he's been here. Uh, whether it was the uh, 2012 team, uh, championship team, whether it was 2011, whether it was 2015, it's figuring out how to get different personalities to jive and to match. And right now, these guys, they trust each other. You know, everybody's looking, you know, they're, they're 17 and 3. Uh, is, that, is it 17 and 3? 16, 17 and 3, right? 17 and 3, that's right. <clears throat> 17 and three. And again, two of those could have gone either way. You know, if if against Seton Hall, if if that guy doesn't get ridiculously hot and hit, and if Hero, who had a legitimate shot to beat Alabama, if that goes in, we're having a very different conversation. Two games against Tennessee remaining, uh, another one uh, against Mississippi State and some Florida games. it's still feasible that the cats are still in the talk for a one seed. It's still in the cards to get the SEC double, you know, regular season and tournament and, and still be able to come here through Louisville to get to the final four. That's still in play. And what I always say, what we always say is more than any other teams, the Kentucky you see in November, December is not what you get in March. And what we have seen, Duke is who they are. We can talk about Coach K recruiting and and, and getting those talents. And he's got some great players, don't get me wrong, but Duke is the same team they were that night in November. Duke is Duke right now. Right. Whereas, again, with Kentucky, with stock, a lot of people selling against Duke, right? A lot of people (laughs) selling after that 34-point. But you beat Kansas, you, you beat down Mississippi State, you take care of uh, Auburn, and then you, you completely outclass uh, Vanderbilt. And before people say, well, that's Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's terrible. Vanderbilt should have beaten Tennessee. You had them so, beat. <laughs> you had them beat. Had them beat. And to do that, mm-hmm. uh, so really looking at, who is ahead of Kentucky in the polls right now, is there anybody you're scared to play? A lot of Kentucky fans before the game, oh, Vanderbilt, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. I tweeted this out after the game, you know, because, again, as soon as we beat Vanderbilt, oh, man, we still got to play Tennessee twice. Look, they got to play (laughs) us twice. That's what I hate about Kentucky fans is, man, we got to go to Florida. No, 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 no. And it's like, wait a minute. I get out my history book. I go to bigboohistory.net. Let me look. 
teams play in Kentucky. Since the SEC was founded 80-plus years ago, what? No, they need to be worried about us. I said, I'll worry about the Tennessees and the Floridas when the rest of the SEC gets – if they can get at least half of Kentucky's titles, then I'll be worried. I'm not worried. They need to be worried about us. We got to go to Knoxville. They got to come to Lexington. We got to go to Gainesville. They got to come to Lexington. So they got to play us. That's true. I just I feel good. I feel excited. I, I, I'm tired of this. Oh man, we got a tough stretch. No, these guys are ready to play. Will they win from here on out? Probably not. But I'm not. Oh, we got to play the Volunteers. What? Tennessee's got to deal with being the hunted. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that, that's that's how true. our program that's is That's true. It's, and that's, it's totally that's different. A, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell them down here. Well, look, and I mean to cut you off, just flash back to the last time they were number one. You know, when Bruce Pearl was there, they immediately lost their next game at Vanderbilt. And history came a hair from repeating itself the other night at Vanderbilt. You know, that hook and hole is ridiculous, even if it benefits Kentucky, which it has. The hook and hole flagrant stuff is crazy. <laughs> Grant Williams, flop, biggest, strongest player in the league, went down like he was shot and got the call on the road, mind you, <laughs> in their effort to force overtime. I say that to all the Tennessee fans here. You know, Grant Williams flopped and got away with it. He's too big to be, you know, trying to pull that. Jordan Bone got away with an elbow upside dude's head, and it was only a common foul, not a flagrant foul. And the Tennessee fans at work, yeah, oh wow, you just hate, you just hate, you just jealous. It's just, just you just, just can't stand it. I said, y'all have been number one now in the history of y'all's program for a total of about five seconds of y'all's basketball history, and you saying that we are hating and we're jealous. Now you know how it feels to be Kentucky for 80 years. Now you know. And they're like, oh, well, that's, that is true. <laughs> so y'all been hating us and, for and, decades. <laughs> and, and I'll take slander. You know, if people want to overlook the football team, if people want to overlook this, that, I take no slander when it comes to SEC men's basketball. Somebody uh, <laughs> was, uh, I saw this, a Louisville fan uh responded to one of the radio shows here in town. You know, Kentucky only has all these wins because they play in the SEC and the SEC is no good. I, I, I've heard that a lot. You know, historically the SEC is no good. And I'm like, well, that's not true. I mean, there's no other blue bloods in the SEC, but it's like every year there is one good SEC team that Kentucky has to deal with. You know, whether it's Georgia and Dominique Wilkins, Auburn when they've got Barkley. You know, there's Shaq at LSU. There's been talent come through the SEC, so pump your brakes. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. All of our success is based just on being the SEC. Well, well, how do we have more NCAA tournament wins than anybody else? How is it that we've got eight NCAA titles and nobody else except UCLA has more? How, how is that? How is it that all these other blue blood programs we beat head to head? The only one is North Carolina, and I hope and pray we close that gap and flip that around. But Duke head to head, 
we beat them. Kansas, I mean, it's now what twenty four and nine head to head, and I'm like a Louisville fan. It's what thirty two to thirteen. That's you know you can extrapolate that out. That's worse than Tennessee percentage wise. That's Vanderbilt level. That's Arkansas. That's, that's Arkansas and Auburn level. So it's not just the SEC we beat up on. We beat up on everybody, and the stats bear that out. So Al McGuire said it, and I'm going to get off my soapbox. They were good before you. <laughs> They're good now, and they will be good after you. Uh, I, I mean, you have to do some strange Mary Lou Retton, uh, Simone Biles gymnastics to, to somehow just dismiss the success that Kentucky basketball has had. I, I, I just – I don't understand it. Uh, you know, like you're here down in Knoxville. I'm here and here. Well, you know, we got a coach now that's going to turn around. I've said it. Uh, Louisville has had great on-the-court success. Hall of Fame coaches, going back to Peck Hickman, Benny Crum, Rick Pitino, Chris Mack looks to be legit. No matter how good they are, they can't consistently beat Kentucky. That just is a fact. You can hate it. You can whatever it is what it is. So, you know, just, it's just aggravating because uh, Paul Feinbaum tweeted out, you know, about uh, Kentucky leading the SEC and these different categories and all these other SEC school fans like, well, we'll wait and see. Yeah, let's wait and see. 80 <laughs> years, Kentucky got 50 SEC championships. The rest of the uh, league combined got 20. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't understand it. Like, well, you know, maybe Kentucky can pull it out. And that's what kills me, too. The last three years, Kentucky fans are like, man, woe is us. We're subpar. Every single year, we have won an SEC championship. Every single year. And, and Kentucky fans are like, man, these teams aren't very good. But but the Euless. The and Murray team, you know, split with A&M, won the tournament. You know, Fox and Bam, you know, won both of them. Even last year's team, after suffering a four-game losing streak, still manages to beat your Knoxville uh, uh, fans uh, team for the SEC title. So, our, even our best, our, our, our mediocre teams can win the SEC. What are you talking about, random SEC fans? And I don't know if you saw what I tweeted out. These these folks at, at uh, uh, Missouri had made a rap video about some kind of SEC takeover or something. I need to find it again because I don't know if you saw it. And they're in rapping football? about coming after. No, this is basketball. This is what caught my attention. And they say something. There's a line about Kentucky. It's like, wait a minute, Missouri. Wait a minute. A minute. Let's let. You just got into SEC. You need to understand, like everybody else knows, the road to the SEC championship goes through Lexington every single year. Every year. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So that's my Didn't they just cough up a 14-point lead in the last two minutes against LSU the other day? Yeah. Yeah. I like Conzo and everything. I like Conzo. I'm like a good dude, but I'm just saying – I just, uh, you know, I, I understand some good-natured talking. There's going to be some rivalry, but come on, come on. 
make right, have some right, sense. Right. You, know, you know, Sean Smith, my travel buddy, somebody responded to him in one of his tweets uh, basically <clears throat> saying that, you know, with Kentucky and uh, Tennessee meet in the SEC championship game in Nashville, with a straight face, I assume this person said, there's going to be more Tennessee fans. Are you kidding me? Mm. Have you ever been to the SEC tournament? Like the SEC, they want Kentucky to at least get to the championship game because when we lose early, there's nobody there. When Kentucky loses before the semifinals, you're watching on TV, it may as well be the Mid-America Conference or the MAC or wherever else they play in some of those high school gyms. It it is what it is. So, So pump your brakes. Uh, and all these people, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about well, the SEC is bad, or the same ones that'll talk about, well, look at what Kansas has done. They've won 50, 11 Big 12 titles in a row, and, <laughs> and, and no, nobody else from the Big 12 is going to the Final Four. All that championship stuff, and only one championship to show for it. Come on, come on, come on, Kansas. Yeah, so and I'm off my soapbox. We we do kind of, you know, we do kind of need them to go ahead and, and get their act together now that Kentucky's beating them though. You know, to see them go ahead and drop another one to Texas, you know, for all that net rating and Ken Palm stuff, and you hope they yeah they don't win the Big Twelve. You, you hope they at least get out of this little funk they're in. Even if they don't win the Big Twelve, at least I know you lost your big man and you're not the same as you were. We get together and start start winning some games now. You know, they lost to Texas almost by the about the same score they lost to Kentucky. You know, the 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 problem is when it comes to and everybody gets worried about SEC or NCAA seeding. If Kentucky isn't great, and I'm talking 2015, 2012, 1996, you know, even 2003 and 2004. If we're not like one or two losses. We're going to get screwed in the seating. Like, just, just, you just need to live with that fact. Like, we're going to be underseeded if we don't finish. Like, if we don't, if we drop a couple more games, we're going to be two to three seats. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Uh, so just get ready for that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we do. If we're not one or two losses, then automatically we're going down to the two C line. Or worse. So just get ready for that. I don't want people getting all bent out of shape. That That's just what happens. The committee, whoever's on it, they're not Kentucky fans. They're not Coach Cal fans. So, you know, it is what it is. You just need to deal with that. I just want them to be in a situation where they can come through Louisville. If it's a one, two, or three seed, that would be obviously my preference. And I think, you know, everybody else's preference as well. Yeah. Yeah, so – and look, we've seen them do work from less desirable seed lines and all that. Um, it's not what you hope happens, but <laughs> you know, we saw them as an eight seed, you know, go ahead and do their thing and take care of Wichita State and, and, and make them run. Um, it's gotten to the point where it, it doesn't matter. Um, of course you want to see them one, two, three seed and plan the regular seasons smoothly and cohesively and coming together and, and getting further along in the process, but it might not always happen that way. 
But um, like you said, you they've yet to underachieve and and have a flame out uh, and then go you know out in the first round when they got Elite Eight, Final Four, national title talent. So it just it's human nature for a lot to get in an uproar, in a tizzy. Sometimes people aren't happy unless they're in an uproar or in a tizzy. You know, we nitpick anyway because we are. That's what we do as Kentucky fans. Cal says, "You people watch the tape more than I do," and <laughs> that's how you get a question about bench play because <laughs> we just nitpicking and 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 going a little too much. And look, you know, we had our friend Michael Bennett on, but this team is so balanced that everybody might not score. <clears throat> you gonna have games where you know Reed might not get but a couple shots or a point or two because they're trying to get Nick Richards going. There's so many guys that are capable. Everybody can't always click. But you still see the chemistry there. They're still playing well. There's not any infighting. You know, they were just as happy for Nick Richards as they were for anybody else to see him get his 14 points. Most points he scored since he scored 25 early in his freshman year. Nobody was upset about Nick getting 14 because it cut into them getting their shine. TJ is gradually kind of pushing us away from thinking that he's Alex Poitras-esque, and there's no disrespect to Alex, but we just kind of we saw flashes of Alex and we just didn't see it consistently. To me, TJ was kind of on that same path, but maybe he's turned the corner. So just because some guys don't score, just because Hero and Keldon might not score one night and it's TJ and Reed showing out, and vice versa the next night, you know, you, you can't – opposing teams can't really focus on who's going to be getting off on a nightly basis. You know, team, this Kentucky team's hard to Belichick. You will take away what you do best. Well, what does Kentucky do best? Who do you take away? You, you, can't, you can't really peg somebody yet because, you know, everybody's had their moments. Yeah, uh, and that and and we were going to nitpick, and I and I get that, but you know, somebody during when Kentucky was up thirty points last night, I forget the tweet that you know where is Nick Richards' rebound, and it's you know I, I get that, but at some point you you right. you have to when it's forty five to fifteen and the lead didn't you know early in the second half it's thirty three points. I just I don't know. I feel like I just I don't know. At that point, it's it's what do you do? I mean, what do you do? Exactly. And I feel this team they have shown over the last two weeks that that they have what it takes. Not so much that they are so so great, but in comparison to everybody else, you know, every team's flawed. Every team's got its bad marks. But Kentucky is finding a way to overcome their issues. They are uh, they're fixing themselves up. And this is the time of year where we see other teams, their flaws get exposed, and this is when Kentucky starts fixing their flaws. So I love my team moving mm-hmm. forward. I, I, I do. I just I've watched a lot of college basketball, as I always do. I haven't seen a team, and this includes Duke, 
that I don't that I would be concerned to play. As a matter of fact, yeah. people are like I, I put Duke way far away. No, because I would put money on it. They're not beating Kentucky by thirty-four points again. I'd put my mortgage on it. That's not happening again. So, if I'm Duke, I don't want to play Kentucky again because we have seen in the NCAA tournament a team that you have beaten a couple of times during the regular season. They are geared up extra in the NCAA tournament. You know, we had Roger Harden on a couple of weeks ago. That '86 team beat LSU, I think, three times that year. Meet yeah. in the Elite Eight, yeah. lose. So, so, you know, I, that's the thing is you don't want a team that's extra motivated to to beat you. That's right. That's it. Got to change up real quick because we got Damian Adams coming on in about 10 minutes. Um, and we first found out about this is because you, you actually text me because – we had had Mark Story on um, talking about UK football, and it was it was leading up to when Kentucky was about to play Tennessee in football. I do believe it was right in the heart of football season. But a couple of weeks after that, you sent me a text. Uh, I was down in Georgia for that show that I wasn't in on for my niece's graduation. Um, going on to radiology school, you sent me a text and said, did you get a DM from Mark Story? And I was like, no. And I'll let you tell everybody what the DM was about because we got selected and honored for something that I thought was pretty cool, and I couldn't believe it when you texted me. Yeah, we got got selected to uh, vote for the Lexington Herald Leader Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year Award. And so we uh, we were able to do that. I, and I'll be full disclosure here, submitted my ballot in late. So <laughs> was not, I'm not sure that mine kind of just lost track of the time, but we were selected to vote. And it was just, number one, like you said, I was, floored to be asked to do it. I think we both were. Uh, number two, there's a lot of good sports people out there, whether it's Justified, of course, Josh Allen, and Asia Dirt, what she's doing at Louisville is ridiculous for basketball. I mean, there's just, okay, where do you go uh, for that? So it, it, it was just, it was a lot to have to, to think about and to cover and you know, it's it's easy just to say, oh, you know, um, you know, go with the men's basketball player. Well, you know, you know, the UK men's basketball, but there was so much to look at. And even with Kentucky football, <clears throat> Josh Allen was Mister Everything, but Benny Snell broke all the records, and Mark Stoops. I mean, how do you <laughs> how do you get that? How do you how do you do that? So, uh, just a lot of. Uh, a lot of stuff to read about, and, and even folks that I don't ordinarily cover. Um, yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, and like for instance, last year, you know, golfer Justin Thomas won uh, being the 2017 Kentucky Sports Figure of the Year, 
Uh, Got to have ties to Kentucky some kind of way. Uh, Bengals players are excluded from the list. Of course, Cincinnati and Kentucky, that connection, yeah, but, you know, Bengals players aren't on the list. And we're going to have Mark on next week to just kind of get into it a little bit and, and, you know, thank him for including us uh, to be a part of the process. Um, But from this standpoint of just it's the entire state, a lot of sports we may or may not keep up with, impressive accomplishments across the board. And I've heard Mark come on, you know, like Tom Lee to show the Leach Report in years past and talk about this, you know, and, oh, great, cool. Okay, this person's in the Sports Freshman of the Year. Oh, cool. I've heard it. I didn't really know a lot about it. And like you said, you know, getting asked to vote, opened my eyes a lot to it even more. And and this year the list was just insane. But my approach to it was just to immediately, look, this is for the entire state of Kentucky. As much as we love the rivalry, Kentucky Louisville in all sports, I shut the rivalry off. This is not Kentucky Louisville. This is not red v. blue. This is Kentucky. So, you know, if it's a Louisville person, Louisville player, everybody on the list is worthy of consideration. There's a lot of Kentucky players and um, people with UK ties that made the list this year, that made the list of 10 finalists, which is, has come out. And the winner is going to be announced tonight, and then it's going to be in the paper uh, tomorrow as well. But I just put Kentucky Louisville out of my mind and just looked at it from a statewide standpoint. Uh, Definitely looking forward to next week to have Mark on and just to get a little more background on the history of it, um, maybe how he approaches it and his votes. Uh, you get media members from all over the state. So if everybody wanted to stay Kentucky, Louisville specific, I think you would still cover a wide spectrum. But I, I like to think that everybody kind of looks at it from an open-minded viewpoint. Uh, and the list was just crazy. I, I I I thought I didn't think we could talk about it until it happened, but then I saw Oscar Collins, the legend, tweeted out his ballot last night. I was like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll tweet out ours and tweet out mine. So um, my 10, and look, like I said, I'm just happy to be part of it. I had Josh Allen, Justify, Benny Snell, Mark Stoops, uh, Dorcas Wasicki, and she is at Louisville. And uh, she is a cross-country track and field star. Henrik Larson is on the U.K. rifle team. Rondell Morris yeah, from Louisville showed out, at, yeah, showed out at Purdue, had a great freshman year. Ken and Sarah Ramsey, uh, horse owners from Nicholasville, they just win uh, the Churchill Down Spring Meet and Kingland Owners titles. They just they dominated. Dante Allen from Pendleton County, uh, senior year was cut short, but he was well on his way to doing big things and probably being Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky. And my final one, I did vote with my heart. I did go Blair Green from Harlan County, who's at UK now. She led the Lady Black Bears to their first ever appearance in the Sweet 16. So that was my 10. Several other people in the media started tweeting out theirs, and it was just amazing to see the different groups of 10 finalists that everybody came up with. So looking forward to hearing who the winner is. Looking forward to having Mark Story on next week and just talking about it even more. And just honored to 
that he would message you. First of all, you asked, did I get his DM? No, because he doesn't follow me. He follows you like all the other like all the other celebrities do, George Wallace, Kenny Anderson, and I don't know who all else. So that's why you and I didn't, TB. That, <laughs> but no, I mean, I can't. I couldn't believe it when you told me that. I was blown away. I was blown away when you texted that. Because I was just shocked. I was like, people care what I'm thinking? I mean, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just a just a just a great moment, and like I said, it makes you really appreciate for 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 Kentucky as a state. You know, it's not known for a whole lot. You know, we've got our issues like uh, everybody else, uh, but there's really a lot of great sports that come from an athletes that come out of Kentucky that have ties to Kentucky. Whether it's you know basketball, and of course you know Muhammad Ali, you can't you know, can't be, you can't think anything in the sports world without mentioning that. So even just this year, uh, everybody I've seen from Larry Vaught to uh, to even Mark Story himself talk about how tough it was this year. Because again, you just look at yeah. football. Okay, is it is it Josh Allen? Is it Benny Snell? Is it Mark Stoops? Like how do you Divide that up. How do you lend one more issue than the other? You know, it, it's all uh, interrelated. You know, and 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 besides not even taking account, you know, Sidney McLaughlin, who was a world record holder, yeah, yeah. Before he set foot on campus. Yeah. So there's just and she didn't so make my much. list, which was crazy. Yeah. Right, and that's the thing is like I think it was like 40 names that we could pull from, and I'm like, well, 20. Uh, 20 are like you have to and then it's like well you got to knock that down to 10 so uh, you know and, and real quick you know we I, I, I rag on Hall of Fame voters and, and all that kind of stuff but it is hard it is hard now I'm not stupid enough to leave Josh Allen off my list I'm not going to be like that but it is hard exactly. to, to, to look at when you look at like the major league baseball players available, it's hard to focus and get to, you know, however they put them back. So I definitely understand that, but what a great experience. And I'm very fortunate and, and well, thankful to be fortunate enough to do it. Yeah. And look, if, if they have us back next year to vote, I'd, I'd be honored again. If that was just a one-time thing, Still just as honored that Mark Story picked us, came on our show, and then messaged us about being part of the vote. I saw him tweet out that uh, it was like a record number of votes and a record number of new media members that were included on the vote. So uh, just honored to be a part of it. Speaking of somebody that we'll never leave off our list, this gentleman is born and raised in New Orleans from the Crescent City. Coming to us tonight from Phoenix, Arizona. He hosts his own show. He's out there grinding and doing his thing. You guys are going to love listening to him. The real deal with Damian Adams, we have with us Damian Adams on the line now. Damian, man, been appreciate what you do from afar. Been wanting to have you on for a long time. Welcome to the show. How are you tonight, man? I'm doing great, man. I definitely appreciate that intro. Thank you for the love, and I've been appreciate you from afar as well, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, 
the got the great YouTube channel, got the show, cool guests all over the place. Um, and, you know, we messaged before and when they would work it out. And last week I was thinking, you know, leading up to the, the NFC Championship game, I'm like, well, you know, the Saints win. And, look, I'm like, we ain't trying to rub salt in wounds. Have Damien on, talk about his Saints going to another Super Bowl. He was a little bit younger when they won their last one, you know, back in 09. Get your thoughts on everything. Now, it didn't quite work out that way. And then a guy we know very well from his time at UK, Anthony Davis, requests a trade from your Pelicans, and you, you add that on as well. And to your credit, you have been objectively doing shows passionately from the heart, but also objectively and rationally doing your shows despite all of the pain that's going on from a New Orleans sports fan's point of view. Yeah, it's something that you try to, you know, stay objective about. It is hard when you're a fan of both of those teams. It is a rough time to be a Saints and Pelicans fan right now. You know, I joked how it feels like, you know, we just had this big wound open up from the Saints game and then, Anthony Davis came and gave us an elbow from the top rope when he go ahead and um, requested that trade. But you have to look at things objectively or you won't be able to, you know, see the the forest from the trees, you know. So it's something I always try to make sure that I'm looking at things from all directions. Absolutely. Tell us about, you know, how you got your show started, the real deal with Damian Adams. Uh, three-point conversion. Tell us about how it all came to be. Obviously, you're a big sports fan like us, but tell us how you got the ball rolling on everything that you're doing now. So, yeah, with the real deal with Damian Adams, it originally started off as a podcast called Talking Junk. I was at work one day, and me and one of my fellow employees would just go back and forth emailing, talking mess about sports. And as I'm doing my work, I was listening to his and hers with Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, and I was like, man, I think I could do this. I really think me and you could do a podcast. And, of course, you know, the guy I'm emailing with, he's, you know, it's like, all right, whatever. You know, I guess you'll do it one day, like, thinking I'm joking around. And I was like, no, I'm serious. I think we could do it. So I started off doing, you know, that podcast, which originally, you know, just went off into me doing my own thing. And I wanted to have different guests on. So that's how I came up with the real deal with Damian Adams. I started off just, you know, recording it on my phone with, friends around work and friends that I knew from my Navy days and stuff like that. And then it evolved into me branching out and finding other people who also do podcasts, other people who also do sports radio to finding athletes. And it's now continuing to grow and grow. And three-point conversion, Raphael from the three-point conversion, who is the CEO of the threepointconversion.com, he discovered my show and also discovered some things that I had written for some other blogs and wanted me to come along and become a writer for three-point conversion and have my show be a part of the three-point conversion station. And I'm thankful um, to him because he gave me opportunity to join them and the three-point conversion is doing you know, so, so, so many big things, you know, covering the Super Bowl right now. And I get to cover the Phoenix Mercury for the three-point conversion. It's exposed me to so many different opportunities. So I'm definitely thankful for the three-point conversion for that. And I, Look forward to continuing growing the real deal with Damian Adams and also the three-point conversion as well. 
that's really cool, really cool. We mentioned that you were from, of course, born and raised in New Orleans, and we have we've given your city love in the past with with different guests. Uh, for example, we had we had Jeff Meikenhofer on that covered the Pelicans, NBA.com. Uh, from Syracuse, so it's fun kind of getting his perspective of New Orleans being an outsider from up in the Northeast. And then we have Will Guillory on uh, from the Times Picayune, who, like yourself, is born and raised in New Orleans. So it's fun uh, talking with him, being a local as well. You're from New Orleans, spent time in San Diego, in Phoenix now. Just And I'm from a small town, so I love visiting cities. I haven't been to any of those cities, New Orleans, Phoenix, or San Diego. But you, being from the city, how do you compare and contrast New Orleans to the San Diego and Phoenix where you lived once you left New Orleans? You don't realize how different New Orleans is until you leave. I think that's one thing that definitely I appreciate being able to leave. Uh, I joined the Navy when I was 19, so I got to – you know, travel the world a little bit and see different places. And you don't realize how different the culture is in New Orleans. You know, in New Orleans, there's just a, such a different culture with the food, the music. It's called the Big Easy for a reason. People are there having a good time. They're relaxing. You're partying. You know, you have your second lines, people dancing down the street. And it's it's just so different. I always encourage people to go visit. And if you go visit New Orleans, I say the first time you go, do not go during Mardi Gras the first time. You should go during a different time of the year so you can truly experience the city. I feel like during Mardi Gras, you get a great experience of the city, but it's a lot of tourists there. So you're not really hanging out with you know, people who are homegrown from New Orleans. You're not getting that southern hospitality. When you go down there, like go down for Essence Fest during July, and you get to have that true Southern hospitality, meet people from the city and truly get to experience more than just Bourbon Street. Like a lot of, that's what people know New Orleans for is Bourbon Street, but there's so much more to the city when you just go around and you have live music. And the city also is just very close-knit, especially after Hurricane Katrina. That's one of the reasons that Saints fans are so passionate about the Saints is that we grew around that team after the storm and that team became a representation of New Orleans being back and being – more powerful than ever. And that's one of the reasons that Saints fans are so passionate because I think that there's no city that has a closer connection to their team than the Saints have to New Orleans. And because of that, that's why you have the passion that you've seen from Saints fans after what happened in the NFC Championship game. And it's just nothing like it, man. You know, San Diego is a great city. It's beautiful. You know, the weather's perfect 95% of the year. It's wonderful, but nothing compares to home, I guess, to anybody. But for someone from New Orleans, that culture, that that true Southern hospitality, the way people treat each other, there's nothing like it. You know, Phoenix is nice. I love living here now. You know, you have a few rough months of the summer out here when it gets really, really hot. But it's a great city as well. But like I said, nothing compares to home when you think about just the culture of New Orleans. And like I said, it's mostly about the people and the way people treat each other down there. You being from you know, a smaller town, you you understand that Southern hospitality, the way people just are kind to one another. I think that's something that you miss in bigger cities or in maybe even Northern or Western cities, just the, the kindness that people have towards one another. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I always like 
just getting a sense of of the vibe of somebody that's been there or from there and, and being able to kind of compare it to other places. Um, getting back to the Saints, and we'll talk about Pelicans, and then we'll branch on out, you know, from New Orleans. Because, look, man, you, you talk all sports just like we do. Um, your thoughts now on, on Roger Goodell finally coming out, uh, and I don't really think Saints fans were all that annoying. You know, I thought I thought Ben Watson's tweet was cool to Roger Goodell. He finally speaks to the media today in Atlanta. You know, the whole rest of humans, and we've been looking into the playoffs for years and all that. Your thoughts on all of that? You're a few weeks removed, you know, a few days removed, but your thoughts on kind of what he finally said and, you know, the way you guys are trying to move on, like you said. Well, honestly, I wasn't really looking for anything from Roger Goodell. Um, you know, it was, you know, too late for him to really do anything about it. You know, the only thing that at that time I was looking for the refs to do what was right. You know, when you have such a obvious, egregious call that is game-changing, you know, you should have – the referee should be able to make the right decision at that point. Um you know, all Roger Goodell could come out and say is what he said today. You know, it's not much he could really do about it once that play is done. Once they waved it off and said incomplete and we had to kick the field goal, there was nothing more that he could do at that point. I know there's a crazy rule in the rule book that you could replay the game or replay from that particular down in the game, but that's more for, like, if an earthquake happens or if, you know, something disastrous happens, you know. Even though that was, you know, disastrous to us, it wasn't something that was disastrous in the big picture of things. So you can't really, I wouldn't expect them to do that. Um, Having more than like a week away from it, you realize, you know, there's things we could have did differently in the game to not be in that position. But also it's the NFC Championship game. You know, a lot of people that are tired of hearing Saints, Saints fans complain will say, well, the game shouldn't have been that close. Well, it's an NFC Championship game. You know, if we were playing the Cardinals, the game wouldn't have been close. But we're playing against another great team. You know, you're in the NFC Championship game for a reason. So it's hard to, you know, keep a 13-point lead and not have a game that's close in that situation. So you're going to be in a close game more likely than not. And those type of plays can and did have a major impact on the game. So I definitely – Ben Watson is one of my favorite players. He's very well-spoken. I love how he does the letters and stuff like that. But in this case, I don't know what he really expected from Roger Goodell. You know, Roger Goodell, I'm not a Roger Goodell fan at all. Trust me, I'm not letting him off the hook. You know, I'm still upset about how he handled the whole Bonnie Gay situation. I thought he did, it, he did us wrong in that situation as well. But in this case, I don't know what he really could do or say. Nothing he could do or say would make us feel better in the situation, honestly. Talking with Damien Adams. Host the real deal with Damien Adams. If you check him out, Spreaker, uh, anywhere you can get podcasts, you can find the real deal with Damien Adams, right? Yeah, anywhere. iTunes, Spreaker Radio on the Three Point Conversion Station, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast. There's you know podcast stations out there that I don't even know about that I'm on. So anywhere that you listen to your podcast, <laughs> you can find the real deal with Damien Adams. Yeah, sometimes you just Google it, and and then you're like, wow, I, I did it the other day, and we were on Podbean and, and other stuff like that. I was like, wow, okay, 
right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, um, exactly. I, um, somebody told me the other day, somebody was like, yeah, I like your show, man. And I was like, oh, thank you. Where, you. where do you listen to it at? He was like, oh, man, I got this app called CastBox. And I was like, CastBox? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's so many different places out there that you can listen to podcasts. And like I said, some of them I don't even know about, but you can find a real deal with Damien Adams if you, you know, like I say, don't even have to truly search. You just put it in, and you can find it anywhere. That's it. I'm going to shift to the Pelicans real quick, and then when we get back to, you know, get your thoughts on the Super Bowl. Did you, were you bracing for AD to, to maybe put in a trade request, or did you think he was going to, you know, continue to ride it out, or as a fan, did you kind of see all the salt kind of running out of the hourglass on Dale Dimps as far as getting some other talent around him that would make him want to stay and, and have a more competitive team? Where were you at and where were most Pelicans fans at kind of on that? We were in shock when it happened, but we also had hope that we could try to convince him to stay. You think about last season, we made it to the second round of the playoffs. We swept Portland in the first round, and we lost to Golden State in the second round. So when you think about having that type of year last year, you're thinking, okay, we're on our way up. This is, you know, someone who maybe we could build around. You know, you can't be too unhappy with going to the second round and lose to the Warriors. Everybody lost to the Warriors. You know, it's literally, you know, you can't beat that team. And then in the offseason, when we lost Rondo, it was like, ah, oh, okay. You know, um, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, we didn't even try to really sign him. And I wasn't too mad about that because we did play better without him last year after he got hurt. So I'm like, okay, okay, let's see what happens this year. Hopefully we can still be good. And we started off the year okay. We started off the year, I believe, 4-0 or 5-0. and And then injuries happened. And we truly haven't had a healthy team since, like, the first week of the year. I think that's one thing that people have overlooked in this scenario is that it's not the fact that the team isn't good because you look at players like Drew Holiday, who's a borderline all-star, someone who's a great two-way player who can get you 20 points, seven assists, and also lock down the best perimeter score on the other team. Look at Julius Randle, who's a six-man-of-the-year candidate this year, a Meritage, who can give you 20 points and spread the floor for you. They have players on that team. It's not like the team is you know, lacking talent, but no one can stay healthy. The only person that's been healthy this year is Drew. Even Anthony Davis himself is hurt right now. So when you have a situation where literally no one's staying healthy, it leads to you losing. And in the Western Conference, you know, even though we're in the East right now, I think we would be like six or seven in the playoff race. In the Western Conference, mm-hmm. you got to be on top of your game. And I believe we're like 13th in the West right now, even though I have, we haven't had like the, the worst season of all time. Being under 500 in the Western Conference – will have you in 13th place real quick. And I can see his frustration because in his early years, we didn't do a good job of building around him. But I believe in the last few years, our team, our GM, and basketball operations guys have done a better job. You think about getting DeMarcus Cousins to go along with Anthony Davis and what that could have been if Boogie stays healthy. And then to be able to translate that into getting Meritage. And this year, getting Alfred Payton, who was looking good pretty you know, pretty early on, Julius Randle. Etwan Moore is a role player who really has flourished in New Orleans system. So there's players there. So I don't blame – a lot of people go straight to Dell Demps, the GM, 
and say, you know, he's sorry, he's trash, we should have got rid of him a long time ago. I don't truly blame him. Like I said, I feel like they did a, a bad job in AD's first few years here in New Orleans. But the last few years, I think we've really done a good job of trying to build around him. Now, the other issues that are starting to come out now about how both the Saints and Pelicans have the same training staff and all those things, I think that is a problem. The Pelicans are a professional Ooh. team. They shouldn't feel like a second-tier team in their own city. Now, of course, New Orleans is a football town. You know, Saints been there since 1960. So they're not going to be priority among the fans. It's going to take a while for that. Like, the Pelicans slash Hornets have only been there since '02. So they're like 17 years. Like, that kid just learned how to drive, right? And the Saints have been there since <laughs> the 60s. So that's established. You know, there's not a, a lot of people like myself don't remember a time without the Saints. So that's what we love. That's who we are as Saints fans. Pelicans, you know, we just got that name a few years ago, let alone the team, you know. So it takes a while for that to grow. And I, I was hoping that Anthony Davis could have been the guy to make New Orleans more of a basketball town. But mm-hmm. I understand his frustration. But going forward, the Pelicans have to do his best for the Pelicans. So with his trade request, I think it's best that we wait until the offseason to make the trade. I understand it's going to be uncomfortable with him being there and playing and him wanting to leave. But there's no reason for us to rush and trade him before the trade deadline when teams like Boston can't be in the discussions because of, you know, the whole Kyrie Irving contract. And also we don't know who has what draft pick yet. So let's wait, hold out this summer, make that trade, get the best deal unless someone just comes with a crazy deal to blow it out the water. Uh, I, you mentioned my YouTube channel. I did some some mock trades that could happen before the trade deadline, but those are more wishful thinking trades I was doing as a Pelicans fan. But the best mm-hmm. case scenario is for us to wait and see what we can get in the summertime. Like I said, unless we get that crazy offer from like maybe the 76ers saying, oh, we're going to give up Ben Simmons in a few other parts for Anthony Davis. Then you're like, okay, you know, we're getting a, maybe a potential superstar in return. You gotta really look at that, but of course everybody's talking about the Lakers. Unless the Lakers are willing to give up everything, and I say everything, I mean everything. Unless they're willing to give up everything, we have to we have to hold Pat and truly wait for the best offer. What do you think, TB, Mister Purple and Gold? Everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But that's that's the that's the way it is now in the in the NBA with players calling the shots. It's yeah, you can go play where you want to, but if teams, they're not just going to give up a guy for nothing. You know, they want to get something back, and usually that price tag kind of guts your team moving. It's, it's just hard to get that equal trade value either way. So, you know, from from my money, yeah, I'd love to see Anthony Davis in purple and gold. But if it's just AD and LeBron, well, that's not really going to get it done. You know, you definitely need to go two or three or four more guys deep uh, to be competitive. So uh, my whole two cents is if if their goal is to get AD try their best from the Lakers' point of view, don't gut the whole team, and then we're right back to, you know, being mediocre again. If you're going to swing – you know, try to get that home run if you can. You know, and those are some cool scenarios that you put out, uh, Damien. Like, 
you know, like Denver, hadn't even thought about them. And um, and the Philly thing, too, in addition to the Lakers. And it's crazy with the Rich Paul and Anthony coming out with this now as, you know, trying to still, you know, throw up a roadblock to the Celtics. You know, all these years later still underneath the surface, Lakers and Celtics. And now the guys that we watch play, well, the guys Terry and I watch play, not you, Damien, because, you, you know, you're a young dude. But Magic and Danny Ainge are now the ones in this arms race when, you know, 30 years ago they were out there battling down on the court. And now they're, you know, trying to throw up roadblocks and, and make moves to block each other. And, you know, since Kyrie is, you know, contracting all that, it's just ironic seeing it's still ultimately Lakers and Celtics TV. Well, that, that's what drives the league. But the thing, and I'm glad we touched on that, is there are just teams, when you look at pro sports, that just inherently belong to their city. And I would say the Saints belong there. Uh, being on the outside looking in, it just seems like Saints games, even when they weren't great, always seem like an event in New Orleans. You know, I'm a 49ers mm-hmm. fan. And we play the Saints, you know, twice a year. But going down to New Orleans, particularly in the Superdome, it was always an event. It was like a little bit of Mardi Gras you could get while the game was on TV. And that's not something you see in a lot of sports. So what's going on with the with the Pelicans, with AD, it's – I don't know if it's kind of ho-hum there in New Orleans, but it's not quite the same. And, and that's – I'm glad you said that because that's just what I'm seeing on social media, again, from the – outside looking in that, you know, it's the AD situation is, is kind of crazy, but that Saints game, that was, that was big because the Saints are New Orleans. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Like I said, it takes a while to, for basketball to really ingratiate itself into your city. Like with the Lakers in LA, you know, for a long time there was no football. And with the Lakers being so successful, LA became a Lakers town. I don't know if New Orleans could ever become a Pelicans town, but if the team could be successful, like last year when they were in the playoffs, they were rocking, right? That's when you saw those Saints fans come out to the Pelicans game, and those games were rocking. You you finally felt that hometown advantage that probably AD was looking for that he probably saw at Saints games. But you have to be more consistently successful to build that with the basketball team. The football team been there so long that we was going to support the football team no matter what. So through those years that you mentioned when we were back when we were in the old NFC West playing against, you know, the 49ers twice a year, even in the bad years, we still were going to be there supporting that team, especially back then because we didn't have a basketball team. You know, we had a one minor league baseball team, so football was it. So for basketball, it's still going to take a while to build up that fan base. Got Damian Adams here with us. Check him out. The real deal with Damian Adams. Damian, you alluded to, to Dell Dems earlier. And your opinion of him, uh, you hold him in higher regard than a lot of Pelicans fans do. So, in your opinion, can Dale Dimps go to sleep at night knowing that he did everything he could during AD's time there? Or is there, I mean, look, nobody's perfect, but in your opinion, you think he did a, a, a good to solid job of trying while Anthony Davis was there before he requested his trade? Yeah, I would say he did a solid job. Like, if I had to give it a grade, I would say B-minus. Like, it started close to F in the AD's first few years there. 
<laughs> but like I said, to get a DeMarcus Cousins, that's huge, right? DeMarcus Cousins, the best big man in the league, you know, who looks like he's right back to himself in Golden State, which is scary. But to have – get DeMarcus Cousins along with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday on the same team, you think about those three players, that caliber in a small market like New Orleans, that's a major thing to do. And then to be able to, you know, get a Meritage from the Bulls, you know, even though Meritage was damaged goods, literally there, but to get him and to get him to surround Anthony Davis with the system from Alvin Gentry, the only thing that really made me upset with Demps was when we fired uh, Monty Williams. I thought Monty Williams was doing a really good job as a coach there. He got to the playoffs, and we got swept by Golden State. We were eight seed. We got swept by Golden State that year, and Golden State went on to win a championship. You have to build on that. You know, Monty Williams had a really good relationship with the players, and he was improving each year. And I hate when I see a coach improving and then get fired. Like, we see so many coaches get chances when they're declining to keep going and try to build it back up. If a coach is improving, give him that chance. I have nothing against Alvin Gentry. I think Gentry's a good coach. I like his fast-paced system that he has for the Pelicans. I think it works really well. We said that last year in the playoffs and how they locked in defensively. But Honey Williams is a good coach who, you know, hasn't been able to get a head coaching job since then, been doing more assistant work. But that was the one big strike I had against them. But I think as far as player personnel, they did a better job in the last few years. But the training staff thing is really coming into play now with the Pelicans having such a bad history with injuries and our training staff being the same one from the Saints. You Maybe you know football training staffs don't know how to handle basketball players. I don't know exactly how it works. Maybe it's just bad luck with injuries. You know, some of it does come on the players. they got to take care of themselves at the end of the day. But a team that has so many injuries each and every year is just exhausting as a fan. Like, oh, he's out again? Oh, he's out this game? Oh, we missing him too? And it's just like every game. And you're wondering, is it the training staff? Is it the lack of having a team, a training staff that is Pelicans priority number one? And But for half the year, the Saints are their priority. You know, so that's something that I think, I don't know if that's his job or if that's something that's on the owner, who, you know, we have a different owner now because the owner passed away. And you can't really ex- ex- expect the new owner to really be on top of those type of things. So who do you put that on? You know, it's a tough situation, but I would give him a B minus just because I think the players he surrounded AD with over the last couple of years have been really good players. And I think if the team was healthy right now, they would be in the top eight in the Western Conference. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, and for anybody listening to, uh, anything that goes beyond 8 o'clock will all be up available on the podcast, and we'll have that up shortly after the show on iTunes and everywhere else where our podcast is available. You mentioned when they were the eighth seed a, a couple of years ago against Golden State. I remember watching that game three, the first game back in New Orleans. Golden State had to steal game three to go up 3-0. That was a fight. It was a battle. The Pelicans had them on the ropes. Uh, look, we've seen eight beat one in our lifetime recently. Uh, if it goes 2-1, the whole series takes a different turn. Go to state, you know, was better and probably goes on to win anyway. But if the Pelicans get that win on their home floor, you know, a few years back, young AD, Pelicans fans are excited. The city is behind them. 
the whole complexion of this thing could have possibly been different, right? Yeah, that that shot in the corner with Steph Curry where he yeah. shot over both AD oh. and I forgot who else was out there in the corner. That shot changed a lot. Yeah. That that shot changed a lot because we were up by 20, I believe, in the third quarter, and they came back to win that one. So we win that game and we make that a series. Let's say we win two games, we make it a six-game series. I think maybe Monty gets to keep his job, and that does change things. But getting swept, I think they were like, okay, we need to move on, even though that was the team's first year as that current team. You know, but, but Drew – and Drew was hurt. Like, Drew wasn't really playing in that series. So you think about the fact that it was AD – at that time with, you know, um, Tyreek Evans and those guys. So when that team, that team was kind of, that team was kind of built incorrectly. I did like the talent. I like the idea of trying to get Eric Gordon with Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans. Eric Gordon wasn't wasn't healthy at all. He didn't want to be there. Drew was going through his injuries. And Tyreek was very inconsistent at the time. So with those players, you like, okay, maybe Monty, it wasn't on him. Maybe that team just didn't gel together. If you give Monty that new squad, which we went to the playoffs with last year and swept Portland, maybe he gets to do Maybe he's able to do the same thing that Alvin Gentry did. But, you know, we just don't know. Well, and for me to not, not try to read into Anthony Davis in mind or anything, but I think with social media and kind of the way the landscape has changed in sports, you kind of have to ask yourself, do you want to be a Kevin Durant or do you want to be a Carmelo Anthony? And, and you know, we talked around legacies and that kind of stuff. And if AD is saying, do I want to give up my prime and not really have a shot in New Orleans, not feel confident that he can get that legit shot? So, you know, I'm going to join LeBron and, and try to win some titles. Is that a mindset? And again, I don't know. But you just have to think that kind of thing comes into it because we've seen the end of Carmelo's career. And, and it's like people forget he was really, really good for a, a decade plus. You know, he was all NBA for a decade plus, but he kind of got this label, you know, not getting past the second round, you know, not, you know, being able to carry a team. And I have to think on some level, the, the players kind of, you, you think about that at some point especially in this era with, with player movement. Yeah, definitely. Like That's one of the reasons why I can't really get mad at them for requesting the trade. People, I call it the Charles Barkley effect. No one wants to be the one on TV with no ring, right? And yeah. every, <laughs> every time you see Charles Barkley get in an argument with Shaq, Shaq brings up his four rings, and people don't want to be that guy. You know, and right. now that Charles Barkley has gotten older, a lot of people don't remember how great Charles Barkley truly was. Like, Charles Barkley was such a monster. He was so good. And people just remember him as the guy who was good with no rings instead of the guy who was great, who just happened to play in the same time as Michael Jordan, right? Right. And mm-hmm. for Carmelo, Carmelo's a little different because Carmelo made some choices to where he chased money or he chased the big market. Yeah. Right, like, that, that Denver team he was on was really good. It made, made it to the Western Conference Finals. They had – and people forget how good that series was against the Lakers when they made it to the Western Conference Finals. Like, they had a legit squad. And for him well, to lead that situation <laughs> – and, well, of course, yeah, you're a Lakers fan, so, of course, you remember. Yeah, I So, for him to lead that situation, 
and go to New York, which, you know, New York had that one year where they made the second round of the playoffs, I believe, but never was truly a contender. And some of, the, and some of that's bad luck as well. You know, Amari Stoudemire's knees just gave out on him, like, halfway through his contract there, or even less than halfway through his contract with the Knicks. So all that's not on Carmelo. And like you said, Carmelo was a very good player, someone to get you 25-plus for more than 10 years. That's not something to sneeze at. You know, he's a Hall of Fame. He's the first out of Hall of Famer. And I think just yeah. in this type of microwave industry we live in now, we're just not going to remember that until it's time for us to look back at his career and be like, oh, wow, Carmelo was out here getting buckets for a long time. So that's why I don't yeah. blame Anthony Davis. Um, I don't think it's a Kevin Durant situation. Kevin Durant's situation to me is totally different. Kevin Durant was in the Western Conference Finals up 3-1 and then decided to join the team he lost to. I feel like his situation is totally different than maybe a Charles Barkley going to join Houston at the end of his career or Kevin Garnett going to join Boston. I feel like Anthony Davis is going more into that conversation of a Kevin Garnett or Charles Barkley trying to get that title. And like I said, I can't blame him because you don't want to be the guy on TV with no ring. Yeah, before we close out, we're getting everybody's Super Bowl picks and everything. Damien, I got to switch it back up to New Orleans. And, look, we end up talking food or music or something with all of our guests. But, but you being from New Orleans, TB and myself, having never been to your city, where are you telling us to go eat? for lunch or dinner, the first place on your list if we were in your city right now. It's like y'all got to go, you know, not the tourist places that we know about. And, look, you know, I know about Cafe Dumont. Everybody knows about the tourist stuff. But it, it might be a tourist spot or a local place that, you know, you would recommend that we got to go here before we leave town. Okay. So, yeah, like Cafe Dumont is the the, the the tourist answer. You go there and get you some beignets. But if you truly want some good food, something to fill you up, I would tell you to go to – there's a place called Wags in Morero, Louisiana. Now, Morero is like 10 minutes outside of New Orleans. That's where I grew up. And Wags is more of a, a hole-in-the-wall type place, small place where they fix po' boys. So you can go in there and get you an alligator mm. po' boy, uh, Smoke sausage po' boy, even anything you could put on the po' boy. And for people who don't know what a po' boy is, it's just like a, to describe it, it's like a hoagie. Like it's like a it has the same type of bread as a Philly cheesesteak, and but you could put anything into it. And for me, I love alligator, so I always get an alligator po' boy. Mm. Uh, for my birthday, my mm. my girlfriend actually set up to bring New Orleans to me, and I got to get an alligator po' boy and all that stuff. So. That reminded me of Wags. Um, another place you can go to mm. is Acme uh, Acme Seafood House. If you really want to get you some crawfish, shrimp, you want to do the full, like get the full filling of like a, a seafood boil, you can go there. You can get like the, you have the sausage, the corn, along with the crawfish, shrimp, all that seasoned with the New Orleans seasoning. Those are two places. So Acme Seafood and Wags are two places I would suggest. Um, another, There's so many places, man, that you could go to. And if you want to spend a little money and go somewhere fancy, there's Emeralds. You know, Emerald was the guy who go, damn, who'd be on, like, all the um, food challenges and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's a little more yeah. expensive, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I only went there, went there once 
after I graduated. <laughs> and now <laughs> that was it. Like, that's a relationship with Slick. <laughs> uh, he kicked the price up a notch, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, all right, man. Appreciate those recommendations because I got to get down there uh, at some point. I've been to quite a few cities, but that's one that still needs to be checked off the list. Got to switch it up to, you know, the big game this weekend, Super Bowl. Got to get y'all's thoughts on it and how you think it'll play out. And and Damien, we'll start with you. And if you you still want to be petty, you know, just do what you want to do. Get your <laughs> thoughts on how you're feeling and <laughs> let it flow now. <laughs> Now, I, yeah, I'm going to leave my, my Saints feelings out of it. But looking at the game itself, okay. I truly have to go with the experience in this one. And you look at the experience of the Patriots, you know, Bill Belichick being there for the ninth time as a head coach and the offense coordinator who is basically a head coach being there again. It was their third year in a row. And some of those players on that team don't even know what it's like to not be playing at the time of this year. Like, that's just nuts. And – the Rams have more talent, like when you look down the roster, but the Patriots, I believe, with two weeks to prepare for this game, two weeks to dissect the Rams' offense and defense, I believe will be able to win this game. I think James White will play a big factor. In the NFC Championship game, Alvin Kamara was able to truly expose their linebackers by catching the ball at the backfield. I believe Kamara had 11 catches for almost 100 yards. I think James White, who is known for doing that, you know, Super Bowl against Atlanta, he had 14 catches, if I remember correctly. I think he could have a performance like that in this one. Tom Brady, at this stage of his career, loves to go down to the running back and check down and get the ball in his hand as quickly as possible. It's a great match to do that against these linebackers. I can see Marcus Peters making a big mistake in biting on a double move Ooh. and getting up a touchdown. <laughs> so I can see this game going 31-21. Patriots. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think both defenses are going to come to play. But at the end of the day, the Patriots just are going to be able to out-coach the Rams. And I know that's hard to believe with the Rams having coaching God and Sean McVay. You know, if you know Sean McVay, you get a job. You know, but <laughs> if in this, in, <laughs> but in this case, I think that the old veteran and Belichick will be able to out-coach the young gun and McVay. And the Patriots, I see coming out on top 31-21. What's say you, TV? I I agree with all that. Uh, basically, like I've been saying, you know, like Alabama football, the the Patriots, they're the Michael Myers and, and Jason Voorhees of NFL. Like everybody wants to write them off, but you just can't. And so I, I think that this is going to be one of those, uh, it's all going to come full circle. You know, they're playing the Rams where – the legend of Brady began, you know, uh, so many years ago. Is it 16, 17 years ago, thereabouts? Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's coming back around. But uh, just like you're saying, David, I mean, the, the Patriots, it's a been there, done that kind of mentality. And, and you, I don't think you can downplay that. You know, Vinny, we talked earlier talking about uh, college basketball in Kentucky. You know, the bright lights don't affect our fans, our players the same way because it's been that way forever and ever. So the Patriots, the, all the hoopla of the Super Bowl, that's the norm for them. I mean, they have had players that, you know, Super Bowl, AFC Championship, 
they're used to this. So I think the Rams are going to come out, you know, on that big high. But can you contain the Patriots for the full 60 minutes? That's the issue. I don't think they can. Uh, you know, I was thinking it might be, you know, 35 uh, to 21, 24, something like that. I think the, the Patriots win comfortably. And, and I don't want to say that, but that's just what my mind is telling me off what I've seen. 35 what, New England? What? 35 to what? What'd you say? 35-21. 35-21. Man, Damien, you put it on your Facebook page, you know, when the season first started back in September. Give us your Super Bowl predictions or something like that. And, And all the sports media friends that were, you know, we mingle with on Facebook, was putting their comments in. And I put mine on there, and I've stuck with it all year. Got to stick with it now. Uh, my pick before the season started, it was Rams 31, Patriots 27. That's rare that I get the teams right. Uh, and that's picking with your head, not your heart. <clears throat> but I just think, you know, Todd Gurley is fresh. Not sure what happened with him, you know, in the title game and and all that. Uh, you got C.J. Anderson there too. It's a nice two-headed monster in the running game. You 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 go against Brady and Belichick at your own risk. I definitely know that. Uh, but this is the second year in a row that they're playing the team in the Super Bowl that they went against in the first go round back when the Patriots were the darlings. And we saw them suck for years, and then you were kind of happy to see them start winning one. They they beat the Rams in that first one. Uh, they beat the Eagles in that run, too. Beat the Panthers in that early run to get their first three. Played the Eagles last year and lost. Now, I know it's totally different, Eagles and all that. But I, I just got a feeling that the Rams are going to be able to do the same thing as the Eagles and, and kind of avenge that Super Bowl 36 loss. Um it's going to be 31-27 Rams. Uh, they could come out and just run it down their throat like they did the Chargers, you know, with Donald being a little bit smaller and all that. But I think uh, I think Wade Phillips, you know, he came in flossing, had his dad's jacket on, had the hat, had the son of bum swag coming in there. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the Rams are going to find a way to pull it off. It's going to be another thriller, uh, 31-27 L.A., is what I'm going to roll with. So I'm going to swim upstream on it, and we'll see what happens Sunday night. But, but Man, Damian, the Patriots, I was say, real, real, real yeah, quick, if the Rams are able to do what the Giants have done in their Super Bowl against the Patriots, and that is consistent pressure and get to Brady early mm-hmm. and off. He's not able to, to get the ball out. I think we have a different, a different game. Uh, because I think the Falcons went away from that when they went up 28-3 and they stopped bringing pressure and it came back to, to bite them. If, 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 if they're able to do that, if Aaron Donald and, uh, and, and company are able to get there off, and I think that changes it. But with a two-week gap, and, and I'm old enough to remember when it was just a one-week gap uh, between, between games, I, I think that Belichick and, and, and Brady, I think they're going to have a game plan prepared, and I think – that's what's going to do it. So that's my extra two cents. I, uh, I had to throw that in there. Definitely, definitely. 
Man, Damien, glad we finally got to have you on. I saw you post your latest episode on your show, Real Deal with Damien Adams, uh, with your predictions and, and the Super Bowl show, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, honored to have you, and glad to talk knowledge with you and get your thoughts on it. And, uh, man, keep doing what you're doing. you got two fans here, and love having you on and spend time out of your Wednesday to hop on the show with us, man. It's been fun. Absolutely. Oh, no problem at all, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Truly appreciate it. Like I said, I've been listening to you guys for a while now. I am a fan. So I truly appreciate it. And I definitely will try to get you guys on my show sometime soon. Uh, you mentioned I had the Super Bowl preview I just did yesterday with Jerry Porter, ex-receiver from the Raiders. He came on the show and oh, did yeah. Super Bowl preview with me. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good show. We do talk about the Super Bowl. He tells some great stories from his past as well. So I think you guys will enjoy it. Yeah, definitely gonna check it out. We'll retweet it and uh and try to get it out there for you. I uh, look forward to hearing that. Man, have a good rest of the evening. Enjoy the Super Bowl wherever you watch it at or have you watch it if it's you know, a big party and a big crowd or however the vibe's gonna be. Have fun this weekend and uh you know, it's gonna be the end of football until the summer and we'll jump into NBA and college basketball to fill the void. Yes, sir, definitely. So thank you guys again, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks again, Damien. Have a good evening, man. Damien Adams, real deal with Damien Adams. Check him out on Twitter, Spreaker, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you can find podcasts, you can find Damien's show. TV, we had another fun show. Um, You know, the impressive win over Kansas. They kept it rolling against Vandy. Wasn't a letdown. Uh, we got our Super Bowl picks in there. Got some comedy from the jump with Ricky Glore. We ended it with some knowledge and Super Bowl talk with Damian Adams. Had a lot of fun. And uh, we're looking forward to doing it again next Wednesday. Absolutely. Get a little bit of Absolutely. Mark Story will be on. We'll talk Kentucky hoops. Uh, NBA, we'll see if uh, – Trade has went down, and, you know, is AD going to be a Laker now, or will it be later, or will Magic Johnson tamper it all the way? Something will happen, and we will check it all out. Now, you're going to keep talking about Magic tampering, and I'm going to keep telling you that whatever happens, <laughs> that's what he does. That balances, out, that, that balances out the Chris Paul fiasco of a few years ago. So the NBA oh. owes the Lakers. Oh, <laughs> The entitlement from a 17-time championship franchise. <laughs> the league, oh. the league owes y'all. <laughs> 17 banners, is that what it is? 17, 18, 16. You know, a handful of championships. We talked about this. Yeah. We, 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 I, you know, I talked about this with the SEC and the uh, you know in, in Kentucky about Kentucky. Look here, fans that aren't the Rockets. You want to be respected like the Lakers? Win 17 championships. And that's all you got to do. 17, okay. Right. That, no, it's yeah. 16. Uh, the, the Celtics have 17, Lakers have 16, but they've also been oh. to the finals an additional 17 times. So you want respect, that's mm. all you got to do. That's all you got to do. You want to be uh, treated like the Lakers? That's all you got to do. I hear you. I hear you. 
been fun, man. Absolutely. It's been fun. Stay warm. Everybody, please stay warm. Stay safe. That polar vortex is no joke. We are not kidding. If you ain't got to be outside, don't be outside. And, look, you ain't got to – we saying it, Chris Bailey saying it, everybody, Bill Mech, all the – you know, stay inside until things warm up. When Chicago is colder than Antarctica, something is crazy. So stay in the house. Um, have a good rest of the evening yourself, and we you will do the same. Thanks to doing everybody this for all again next Wednesday. Absolutely. We'll be available wherever podcasts are. Check us out. Podcast will be up shortly. For Terry TV Brown, Benny Hardy, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. See y'all next Wednesday, everybody.